Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. Hey church, well, um, we're going to enter into a different, uh, like a change of pace, I suppose, for the next little while with our teaching. Um, I kind of think it's important that we, um, you know, change things up a little bit and um, not get stuck in a rut too much. And so um, as I was thinking about what we've covered this year already in regards to uh, starting off in January, looking at our series, What Does Jesus Want? Um, That was an incredible series and uh, having us fill in the, the workbooks, asking questions like, what does Jesus want for my Health. What does Jesus want for my relationships, my marriage, my my career, uh, my my service to Him, the gifts He's given to me? What does He want with all those things? Uh, I thought that that was a, a very um, helpful series for us to really put the horse before the cart, so to speak. And um, we can easily ask questions: well, What do I want for my family? What do I want for my career? What do I want for my health? Um, and all those questions are great and and helpful, but um, there's probably no greater question a disciple of Jesus Christ can ask than what does Jesus actually want? Um, and it's great to have goals and dreams and aspirations, but if we're just going to have those things and charge ahead and then try and hitch Jesus on the back, um, that's probably um, putting the, the cart before the horse. And really what we need to be doing is chasing after Jesus. If, if he truly is our good shepherd, if we truly are following him, then we need to ask the, the better question, which is, well, what does Jesus want? And when we discover what Jesus wants for every area of our life, then, then we can then hitch our, our wagon to him and, and follow him into those things. And so that series was a great series to start a brand new year, start a brand new decade. And then on the back of that, we went into our How to Unhurry series. And honestly, we, we have never received such overwhelming feedback from people about how helpful that series had been. Um, and it, it clearly proved to us that, that we were scratching where the vast majority of people were itching, um, living in a fast-paced society with lots of expectation, lots of pressure on people, and learning how to unhurry and bring back some spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices uh, was uh, a refreshing reminder for so many people. And, and I can't help but think when we look back over that series that, that was really the kindness of God on display for us. That, that was him preparing us, readying us for this season that we are in. Now, none of us could have foresaw uh, COVID-19 happening and, and isolation and shutdown. Um, obviously, God could. And I think in his kindness towards us, he has prepared us to uh, be ready for slowing, be ready for simplification, be ready for silence and solitude, um, so that we can get through this um, stronger and, and better. And then obviously at the back end of that, we came into our Easter series and over the last few weeks looking at uh, the gospel message of Jesus' death and resurrection and, and what that means for us uh, today. But the change of pace for our teaching is um, is we're going to dive deeper into God's Word, uh, almost like a Bible study format over the next coming weeks and months. Uh, I'm not sure how long this will go for, but what I thought we would do is just tiptoe 
through the book of Romans and extract out as much as we can um, to really discover the truth of Scripture the, and, and understand uh, greater what, what, what it is for us to have faith, what it means for us to be a Christian, and to really um, pull apart what Paul was teaching to the church in Rome. And, uh, and before we do that, um, I just want to pray, and then we're going to do a little bit of a history lesson. So why don't we just pray together? Father, we just thank you that as we come around your word today, wherever we are, in our lounge rooms, in our kitchens, out on the back deck or in our car, wherever we might find ourselves today, I thank you that as we open up your word, that your spirit would flood into our spirit, that truth would flood into our minds and into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would just bless this time together as we study you and we desire more of you. Lord, let it not be just head knowledge, but let it be revelation and transformation in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by by going back about 500 years uh, to to a major event in church history. Uh, And some of you would be really familiar with this. Some of you might be vaguely familiar with this. And others of you may never have heard of this. But hopefully I can shed a bit of light so that by the end of this, we are all acutely aware of this incredible, um, pivotal moment in church history. And and what I'm talking about is the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation um, happened in in the 16th century where it was spearheaded by a guy called Martin Luther. Now, this guy was a highly intelligent, uh, very intellectual uh, Roman Catholic monk who uh, just loved Jesus, loved the church, and was completely sold out and devoted to that. And so he he started to, in his studies of Scripture, become acutely aware of a discrepancy between what the the Roman Catholic Church was preaching and teaching and its policies uh, compared to what the Word of God actually said and taught. And so he started a a revolution of sorts. He started a a reformation of of the church. And so that's, that's where we get this word Protestant. He became Protestant against the church and its practices. And it resulted in him nailing his 95-point thesis to the, the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, uh, saying, hey, these are my issues with the practices of the church. They are not in alignment with what the scripture teaches. And so he, um, he really started a, a massive revolution that um, would break away from the Catholic tradition. And so the Roman Catholic Church continued on its trajectory, continued to do its thing, but but, but Martin Luther and others started a, a breakout, um, which we now would call the, the, the Protestantism, Protestant churches. And so in that we find things like Methodist churches, we find uh, Lutheran churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian. And then about 100 years ago, uh, the birth of Pentecostalism came onto the scene and, and we have Charismatics and all sorts of churches fall under that Protestantism banner. And all, all come back to Martin Luther in his uh, protest against the Catholic Church. And, and they were doing all sorts of crazy things, like one of the big issues he had was a thing called indulgences, where um, the, the church needed to raise money for the building of its cathedrals. And one way they thought it would be great is if they uh, told the people that for a certain fee, they could pay the priest and their sins would be forgiven. So essentially, someone could go out and, and live a licentious life, live a life of debauchery and sin, and just indulge themselves in any pleasure that they would care to enjoy. And if they were to simply come to the priest, 
pay a fee, then that sin would be forgiven, that sin would be absolved, and, and it would be all good. And we, of course, know that that's not what Scripture talks about at all, that, that Jesus is the, the once and for all sacrifice, that his death on the cross was the penalty paid in full for all sin um, in our life. So we don't need to uh, add things to that, that it is finished, as Jesus said, it was finished. And so that was just one example of, of, of a bunch of things that Luther took issue with with the church. And so, um, so, so therefore, Protestantism came out of, out of that. Um, the, the five main pillars of, um, of, of Protestantism that came from the Reformation are, uh, are these things. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just try and impress you real quickly because each of them has a, a Latin phrase or, or a term. Um, and really, uh, as I said, I'm just trying to impress you with that information. Um, I don't know Latin at all, but I can just read it from my screen. So the first is sola scriptura. And what sola scriptura means essentially is scripture alone. And this is one of the five main things to come out of the Reformation is that Scripture alone is truth, that we can rely 100% on God's Word, that it is God-breathed, it is useful for correcting, it is useful for teaching, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that Scripture alone is sufficient for the human life, that we don't need man-made policies, we don't need man-made uh, anything, that we can just trust in God's Word. Uh, the second pillar... From, we get from the Reformation is sola gratia, which simply means grace alone, that we are saved by God's grace alone, that there's nothing we could do, there's nothing that, that we are, it's just God's incredible grace and mercy poured out for us, which is a result of his incredible love for us, that we are saved. The third is solified, which simply means faith alone. That it's not about how, how much we can work or how much we can do, that it's simply our faith alone in Christ that saves us and his grace alone that brings us to a point of um, being accepted into God's family. Uh, and the fourth is Christ alone, which is sola Christus, that it's only through Christ. It's not through any other method. It's not like all roads lead to God. No, no, that no. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And so it's only through Christ, it's not through practice, it's not through tradition, it's not through custom that we get to God, it's only through Christ. And we get to Christ through faith alone, and we receive salvation through grace alone. And we find all this truth in Scripture alone. And the fourth pillar to come out of the Reformation is uh, sole deo gloria, which simply means to God be the glory alone. And so this essentially is saying the way we live our life, the way we operate, should point people to the fact that God is good. It should be to bring glory to God, that we're not drawing uh, glory to ourselves, we're not drawing unwanted or unneeded attention to ourselves. that we essentially are bringing all glory to God, and, and that is the, the purpose of the Christian life. And Hebrews 3 has this, this great little analogy where it talks about how a house... Um, cannot boast in and of itself, that it, it is not worthy of glory, but that glory for that house belongs to the architect and the builder. And, you know, it got me thinking, like, we've got friends that have this um, beautiful house right on the beach at Carora, and it's like a, like a mansion house, and it's got a, a swimming pool and tennis court. And I've never been there, but I've seen pictures online. It looks amazing. Um, and, you know, multiple bedrooms, split-level living, all looking over the beach. You basically swim in the pool, and when you get out of the pool, you hit the sand. And this house is immaculate. But this house, it's foolish for the house to go, hey, 
I'm awesome. Look at me. Look how great I am. I've got a pool. I've got a tennis court. I've got multi-level living areas. I've got inducted air conditioning. And you should see my four-car garage. I am an awesome house. That's ridiculous. We know that the only reason that house is awesome is because there was an architect who designed it and a builder who put, a builder who put it all together. And the same principle applies for us, is that, that we might be incredibly talented, incredibly gifted, very articulate, very creative, uh, very savvy in business or, or whatever giftings we have, but, but we're not to draw attention to ourselves like we are something special and we are awesome. All glory, solidea gloria, all glory needs to go to God alone because he is the architect, he is the builder that has formed us and shaped us and given us the gifts that we have to, to, to have the life that we have. And so, so they are the five pillars that we get from this major time in church history that it's through, uh, um, through Scripture alone, it's through grace alone, it's through faith alone, it's salvation through Christ alone, and our life, the, 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 the sum total of our life is that God would be given the glory alone. And so what does all this have to do with Romans? Um, I can hear you already asking that question. Um, well, the, what it has to do with Romans is that it was, it was Martin Luther's study of the book of Romans that sparked all of this stuff we've just learned. It was the study of Romans that sparked essentially the whole Protestant Reformation. Um, that, that Martin Luther was so enamored with um, Paul's teaching to the church in Rome that He's like, no, you guys have got it all wrong. It's not about your tradition. It's not about your ceremony or practice. It's about God's kingdom. Um, and so I, he, he protested against that. And, and Romans was the, 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 the crux of his argument. And to hear a couple of thoughts um, directly from Martin Luther himself um, on the book of Romans. He says this epistle, an epistle literally means this letter. So this letter is really the chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread for the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much and the more it is dealt with the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. He goes on to say that night and day I pondered Romans until I grasped the truth. I felt myself to be reborn. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. Wow, that, that language is just so um, vivid of how in, in love with God uh, Martin Luther became because of the picture that Paul writes and Paul paints in the book of Romans. Um, and if we were to fast forward into more modern uh, times, we look at a couple of uh, theologians and their take on the book of Romans. Uh, J.I. Packer says, from the vantage point given by Romans, the whole landscape of the Bible is open to view, and the broad relation of the parts to the whole become plain. Uh, William Tyndale says this. He says, it is the principal and most excellent part of the, New, of the New Testament. No man can read it too often or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the pleasanter it is. And the more it is searched, the preciouser things are. Found. And I'm not even sure if preciouser is an actual word, but I'm not going to argue with William Tyndale. He's far more smart than I am. Um, Douglas Moo and D.A. Carson in their book, Encountering the Book of Romans, uh, they succinctly write that Romans is the uh, longest and most theologically significant 
of all of Paul's letters. And so um, if you've read Romans before or you've heard preaching on Romans, um, it is highly likely that you have heard uh, or you have read that it is thoroughly theological in content, that there is so much um, theology jammed into uh, the few chapters that we see in Romans. Um, but what I want us to understand is, yes, absolutely, it is, it is theologically thorough. But by no means is Romans a, a doctrine textbook. It's not a theology textbook to be studied and to be, uh, have an exam about. What it is, is it's a letter. It's a specific letter that was written to a particular group of people in a particular time in history that lived in a particular place that were experiencing a particular set of issues. And so that's what Romans is. So we, we need not get afraid of the denseness of it or the, the heaviness uh, of theological content in it. But we've got to understand that it's a letter that Paul wrote to a specific group of people in Rome to address a specific set of needs uh, and, and, and experiences that they were going through at that time. So in order for us to understand that, I think it's important that we get a little bit of context to this letter in order to fully grasp it. Now, in, in order for you to understand me, I could just say, hey, I, I'm Justin, I live in Coffs Harbour. And, and you would have a limited understanding of me and go, yeah, okay, cool, here's Justin, he lives in Coffs Harbour. But for you to fully know me and get a better understanding of me, I would have to say to you, hey, listen, in 1988, my family packed up our stuff, jumped in the car. We moved from Sydney to Coffs so that my parents could find work. Uh, we moved also to, to move closer to family who already lived here. I grew up here for the, the vast majority of my life, went to high school here. I uh, started my working life here. I found faith in Jesus in Coffs Harbour. It was at church. I met my wife, and we've been married for 18 years. For 10 years, we, we were youth pastors, and for the last six and a half years, we've been pastoring C3 Coffs Harbour. So when you understand all of that, you get a much clearer picture of who I am. And so for us today, I want us to do a little bit of history, a little bit of contextual research around the book of Romans for us to have the platform to, to then have a greater understanding of what we're about to read through and what we're about to study. So to get this context, we're going to start in the book of Acts. Um, and a fun little fact about, fact about the books of, book of Acts is the original name for Acts as the book was called the Acts of the Apostles. And so it was abbreviated to Acts because it was so much simpler for people like me to read. But its original title was Acts of the Apostles. And it was written by Luke, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so it's really, Acts is really Luke part two. So if we were to rearrange the Gospel order and have Matthew, Mark, John, then Luke and Acts would read as one one book, essentially, whereas the Gospel of Luke talks about the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, and then the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Acts picks up exactly from there and talks about how Jesus had ascended to heaven, the Holy Spirit falls on the day of Pentecost and fills people with his presence, and they all go out to the ends of the earth and spread the gospel and build the church. And, and that's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. It's what happened after Jesus' ascension, after the Holy Spirit descended and filled his people and the church then grew and the Acts of the Apostles that then followed on. And so in chapter 18 of Acts, we read, um, we read this. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. 
because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Okay, so this is interesting to know. So Acts chapter 18 talks about Paul is in Corinth. He meets these guys, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and they were only in Corinth because they had been kicked out of Rome by the emperor Claudius. So here's what had happened. Um, The year was 49 AD. Uh, The Roman emperor Claudius had made an edict to banish all Jews from Rome. To kick them out. And this wasn't the first time this had happened. This had happened twice that we know of before. In BC 139 and also in AD 19, uh, the emperors in Rome had ordered the expulsion of the Jews out of Rome. And, and you might think that's a bit harsh. You might think that's a little bit racist. And it actually was a little bit racist. It was a little bit harsh. And, and here are the reasons why that, that happened. Is because um, the Jews were growing in population and by... AD 41, there was estimated 14 synagogues in Rome uh, that each serviced um, a large portion of Jewish people. And so the the Jewish um, population was growing rapidly. And ordinarily, that wouldn't be an issue. And and we today don't have an issue with necessarily immigration or multiculturalism, um, because when people come in, if they adjust uh, nicely to uh, the culture and the custom that they come into, it's normally fine. And multiculturalism Multiculturalism can exist harmoniously. However, this wasn't the case in first century Rome. The Jews did not integrate very well with Roman culture. Um, They worshipped a different god. They followed a different legal system. They wouldn't follow the Roman legal system. They would follow the Torah, which was the first five books of the Bible, ultimately God's law. That They would follow different customs and uh, ceremonial practices as, uh, different to the Romans. They would even have their own economical system. And so, uh, so the Romans and the Jews did not integrate very well. And so, uh, so there's tension that was arising in the city between the Jews and the Romans. Now throw into the mix the early church, the rise of the way, the rise of Christianity. And Paul did not start the Roman church um, he says in, in, in this particular letter that he'd never been there and that he would love to go and visit them, but at this stage he hadn't. So how did the church start? Well, it's likely that the church in Rome started in the day of Pentecost where um, all, all, all the people had come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration. That's when the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room and they're all filled with the Spirit and they burst out of that room and then there was like thousands who were converted that day and found faith in Jesus. And so those thousands weren't necessarily from Jerusalem, but they come from areas all around. And so it's likely that those who were from Rome left uh, from that moment where the Spirit was outpoured and went back to Rome, back to where they lived, and started their churches. And, and so, so we see then there's the, the cultural tension that exists in Rome between the Jews and the Romans, and now you've got the early church which has tension within it because there's converted Jews and there's converted Gentiles who are non-Jews who are having this tension within themselves about how the church should be run because the converted Jews are bringing in Jewish culture and custom and the Gentiles are saying, no, we don't need to do that, and so that's not how we do things. And so there's tension in the church, and that spills into tension with the the Jews who are God's chosen people, and they're like saying to the Christians, no, you guys have got it all wrong. And they're saying, no, Jesus is alive. And they're saying, no, we crucified. This is ridiculous. And so that mixed in with that these guys are not blending in with Jewish, with Roman culture. Claudius just goes, guys, time out. Get out. And so he, he evicts the Jews out of Rome. And so this happens for five years. 
So for five years, the Christian church was left to be led by the converted Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And so uh, they then did away with a bunch of the, the converted Jewish customs that they brought into the church and started to, to worship God and do things their own way. A lot of the issue was around food and what was kosher and what wasn't kosher. And obviously the, the Gentiles were a lot more liberal than, say, the, um, the Jewish converts were. And so um, what happened is then five years later, uh, they come back and the, the converted Jews come back to the church that the Gentile, Gentile Christians had had. And then the tensions start to rise again. And the converted Jews are like, no, you can't eat that. You can't do that. And the, the Gentiles are like, of course we can. This is ridiculous. So this is where Paul then interjects and he brings a Holy Ghost time out. And, and, and we see that in the very first verse of Romans chapter 1, Paul basically asserts his authority over these guys by saying, I, Paul, am a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. So apostle in this sense is somebody who is directly appointed um, as a leader with spiritual authority by God himself. So the church was in disarray. The church was uh, in conflict. And Paul's basically coming and saying, guys, just shut your traps. I'm going to lay the smack down. I'm going to settle this. I'm going to steady the ship right now. I'm going to write you a letter, which is Paul's, uh, like the, the, the pinnacle of Paul's life work is the book of Romans. And basically he's writing it to, to say to the to, to the, the converted Jews, hey, it's not about your ceremony. It's not about your, your, your ways of doing things. It's not about your old school laws. And, and nor Gentiles is it about your new school way, nor is it about your, your freedom and liberal way of doing things, that, that there is now a higher way. There is God's kingdom that we now follow and we now adhere to. And it's kind of a similar parallel that we get from Martin Luther in the Reformation. Essentially, Paul's bringing an early church Reformation uh, via the book of Romans, like Luther did you know, 500 years ago by saying, guys, it's not about how you guys are doing things and the customs. It's about the kingdom of God. And so Romans is Paul's greatest piece of work to, to give us the, the rich theology of what salvation is, that it's, it's not about being a Jew. It's not about being a Gentile. It's that we are all sinners we are all in the same boat, all saved by grace. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so he basically says, guys, we've got to get on the same page. We've got to put aside our social, cultural differences and get on the Jesus page, get on the same kingdom of God page. And so this is the history, the background that we get to uh, the book of Romans. And so in saying all that, I don't want these, um, these talks or these messages to be purely um, theological in, in content. Um, I'm not a, uh, a Bible lecturer at a, at a seminary. I'm, I'm a local church pastor. So my goal is applied theology. And so what I mean by applied theology is when we study God's word and we get it in our head, and then it does, doesn't just stay in our head as information. It actually gets into our heart, which causes revelation. And that revelation causes transformation. And we get transformed by then outworking what we've understood and what we've known. So, so it gets in our head and then drops into our heart and ultimately it's outworked into our hands by how much we love God and serve God and follow God and how much we love and serve and care for other people. So in summary, the, the key things we learnt from the Protestant Reformation, which was all sparked by Luther's study of Romans, is that it's scripture alone, it is grace alone that we get access to uh, salvation uh, by faith alone and in Christ alone. 
And ultimately, the sum total of our life is that we would give glory to God alone. And so as we close today's service and we come to the, the finish of this message, if you've never made that commitment to, um, to become a Christian, to, to follow Jesus, um, who is the way, the truth, and the life, um, this Jesus who um, sparked um, so much change in the world that we even mark now our history and our calendar because of him, um, then I want to encourage you today that any myth you might have thought about, about being a Christian, about how you've got to be perfect, get your act together, and all that sort of stuff, I just want to debunk all those myths today and just encourage you that, that it's really, it's just through faith alone. It's through putting our faith and trusting in him. It's crossing that line of faith and trusting in Jesus, um, and only in Jesus, that we don't trust in ourselves, we don't trust in the economy, we don't put our trust in politics or, or anything else, that our faith is found in him alone, and God's grace alone is what captures us and sweeps us up. And so if that's you today, and, and you know that you need to, to come home um, and be in relationship with God, then I want to just pray a simple prayer with you, or maybe you, you were a Christian and you've sort of fallen away and you want to come back, um, I want to say a simple prayer that would allow faith alone to open your heart um, to, to Christ alone so that his grace alone can flow in you and through you. So, hey, why don't we just close our eyes and pray this together. Dear Jesus, today I choose to cross that line of faith. I choose to put my faith alone in you alone and I freely receive your grace alone. I thank you that you have forgiven me for all my sin all my behaviors that have disconnected me from you. And today I receive freely the grace and the life that you have for me, that I would be born again and become a disciple and a follower of you. I thank you that you would dramatically change my life, uh, not just in this moment at this time, but for all eternity. And I thank you in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you've prayed that prayer for the very first time or if you were coming back to, to Jesus, there's a little button just in the, in the chat bar right now that you can press that just says, I commit my life to Jesus. We would love you to click that. We'd love you to send in a prayer request so that we can um, get to know you and know who's made these commitments today and so that we can also just encourage you in, in your life ahead as you follow Jesus and, and, and work outwork his plan and purpose for your life. So, hey, God bless you. Thanks again for being with us today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.